Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In a tiny apartment in Southern California, two college dropouts teamed up to start a watch brand that broke all the rules. With clean, innovative designs, unexpected colors, and unbeatable value, Movement became the fastest-growing watch brand in the world. Every bold, modern design is dreamed up at Movement's California headquarters. And now, everything is on sale for their ninth birthday celebration. You can save big with 25% discounts on watches, jewelry, sunnies, blue light eyewear, and more lifestyle essentials. And for the first time this year, Movement's best-selling, innovatively-made ceramic watches are on sale, too. Elevate your own look or give someone an amazing gift that won't break the bank but looks like it did. There's never been a better time to join the movement. Get the best prices of the year with Movement's site-wide 25% off anniversary sale and enjoy free shipping, free returns, and a two-year guarantee on everything they make. Just go to MVMT.com. That's MVMT.com. They had a really good group of players there. I mean, the spirit in that squad was second to none, and there were some absolute top-class professionals but they didn't believe in what Mike Walker was doing. Eamon Holmes was taking the mickey out of us on prime time telly, <laughs> saying, no, what's the difference between a triangle and Everton? The triangle's got yeah. three points. So, oh, they're joking about that. Yeah. If Eamon Holmes had taken the mickey out of you on prime time telly, you know there's uh, you know there's problems. So there wasn't a lot being offered. I think Ron Atkinson was being mentioned, and he was in, like, he had, he'd just been given the vote of confidence yeah. at Aston Villa, yeah. you know. Howard was mentioned again. Joe was undoubtedly the best appointment the club could have made at the time, you know. People didn't like playing against us, there were t-shirts with dogs um, you know, <laughs> frothing, frothing at the jaw on them and, uh, and the fans took it up Bogos of it's there it's Duncan Ferguson who scored his first goal for Everton and he scored it in the derby game after that Bristol City away game I genuinely thought wow this could be our year because we got battered. Neville had a blinder. You just had a sense, I thought, that the pressure was off in cup ties. And so that helped them. Unsworth, a better one this time. Swings it up towards Ferguson. Not to fall down. Chance maybe. Watson heads it forward. Great save. No, it's in. And Dave Watson has put Everton in front. I thought that after Newcastle, one or two were starting to think about Wembley. Here's Daniel Amakachi. He scored! Amakachi for Everton. 
The Nigerian has sent Everton to Wembley now. We were outstanding in the semi-final at, um, at Leeds against Tottenham. And, and I, being an Everton fan, would say that was one of the most outstanding performances I've seen from a, an Everton side. You know, we were that good on the day. Lindbergh going forward. Jackson's made a great run down the right. Jackson inside the area. Checks in onto his left foot. Great chance for Everton. Oh, he hits the bar. Still a chance. It's into the goal. Everton have scored. And Paul Rideout has scored it. Unbelievable. They caught Manchester United cold. My biggest thing, the 94 and 95 season was staying up and I, I would rate that above winning at Wembley. I always said Wembley was for the fans and, and it was and, it, and it, it still is. Yeah, I am now joined by Dave and Gav. Thanks very much for, for coming in, lads, uh, to have a chat about this memorable season. Uh, <laughs> certainly plenty going on. A great place to start. Um, and I suppose that the, the, you know, the great thing about having you guys here is that this is a, a season that is spoken about a lot. Um, obviously, very memorable for a lot of Evertonians. But certainly for people of my generation, we hear about it, we see the photos of it. And... But we don't really know the ins and outs of it very much, and certainly you guys uh, not only lived it, but certainly you, Dave, uh, reading up about it and looking at your, your work on it. Um, it was your first ever uh, tour away as a reporter with, with the club, and it, nearly. It, yeah. First one was '93 yeah. uh, with Howard uh, in Switzerland, uh, but this was only the following year, mm. so I was still quite new to it all, still very, very wide-eyed, and it was astonishing. It mm. really was because. Um, Back then, I was the local reporter, you know, so I was effectively travelling with the team. You know, I've still got souvenirs, you know, from those tours, and they used to dish out all the uh, the plane tickets, uh, you know, the entire group, and just split them out. So I think I've got uh, stubs from flights with Ian Snowden and Matt Jackson's name on it because they just like we, we sat with them. Yeah. And uh, bizarrely, back then, you know, there's a smoking section and a non-smoking section on the plane, <laughs> and we were just fractionally, you know, so not in the smoking section, uh, but. I was a much younger man as well, so you know I could obviously relate to the players very, very well. A lot of them were personal friends, and it was it was almost like going on holiday with your mates. It was mm. like, it was great. I mean, the games I remember quite well. There were three specific pre-season tours. Yeah. First one was to Sweden uh, with very, very you know sort of mediocre opposition really, and uh, I remember that one because Ian Snowden got injured very early on, and I pleaded with Mike Walker to send him home. So send me home, Gaffer. I'll be a nuisance. And Mike Walker, no, 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 no. Team spirit, team spirit, snods. We're all staying together. No, Gaffer, send me home, I'll be a nuisance. No, you stay in team spirit. He regretted that. Snods was a nuisance. <laughs> he, was, he was bored. So yeah. I, I just remember I was sharing a room with Vic Gibson, who used to work for the Daily Post. Mm. And uh, I remember one night where uh, the phone goes, and like I, Vic couldn't make out who the hell it was. And so he pans the phone to me, and I get somebody slurring really badly. I'm thinking, <laughs> who is this? Snods, it's you. Aye, aye, and he's basically, he had a party going on in his room and he knew that we had a bottle of Bacardi in our room and he wanted us to bring a bottle of Bacardi down. So I'm like, oh dear, oh dear, well, all right, you know, so I'll bring it down, but you know, so we want to be able to join him. So I go downstairs and there's like, poor old Brett Angel was in bed. He had some kind of virus. He was like ill, but it's like a fully fedged party going on around him. So, you know, we've got the Bacardi into the room and we then realise, hang on, we've got no Coke to go with the Bacardi. So we said, we all go downstairs to reception to get some. So Snod's led the way, followed by Vic behind him and then me. And we're just trooping into reception. And uh, Mike Walker sat there with Anders Limpar having a cup of coffee. And he just sees Snod stumble out, <laughs> spotted straight away what kind of condition he was in. Snowden, you're a disgrace. And Snod's realised he's being caused, just turns around and goes, 
No, Gaffer, you're a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> the lads are bored. We want a night out. The lads are bored. And so anyway, I don't know what happened between him and Mike Walker, but a few days later, the lads were granted a night out, uh, some big coach trip to a nightclub somewhere in the middle of town. And again, that descended into chaos. So that was just mm. Sweden. From there, they went to Germany, a place called Fiefelstädter. Mm. wasn't quite as anarchic, but certainly... Badly organised, because I remember a couple of incidents. Um, one of them, we were travelling, it was four hours on a coach uh, from the hotel to play San Pauli, mm. based in Hamburg, four hours away. And they get halfway there and they realise they need a pre-match meal. So they stop at a motorway service station for the pre-match meal and you can imagine the food there. It, it wasn't the best. Mm. So most players refused to eat anything. They just picked away. We get to Hamburg and uh, Big Nev, Neville Southall, said to me, he saw these bratwursts that me and uh, Vic were eating. <laughs> Oh, what did you call me? TJ, call me TJ Hooker because you reckon my hair looked like TJ Hooker. Work that one out if you can. <laughs> uh, cultural reference there for anybody. William Shatner played that part yeah. you know, way back in the day. So, you know, dutifully, I went and bought this Bratwurst and I uh, brought two, you know, one for him, one for Andy Hinchcliffe. And you see, Andy was a little bit torn, like, should we really be doing this? And never was like, just give it here. So, so it took off, marched down the pitch, put it in the back of his goal, and started warming up, having bites on this breakfast. <laughs> anyway, you know, so moral of the story, Everson won 2-1. So, yeah. you know, so it worked yeah. that one out. And then finally, it was a long weekend in Aosta. And again, that was just completely and utterly bizarre because there were two 45-minute matches they played. First one against Torino, 45 minutes, Everson won 2-0, but then had to come off wait for 45 minutes while Lazio played Torino. Lazio had this organised, being the home team. Uh, after they'd beaten Torino, they had like a shortish break before Everton came back on. Barely an hour later, legs beginning to stiffen up, players like feeling really bad and predictably got battered 4-0. So that was pre-season. So Everton started drawing against Aston Villa and then we know what happened in the league games after that. I can fully understand, you know, so why they made such a poor start to the season. Yeah, it's mad, wasn't it? I think there's about 10 pre-season games in the oh, three different season. It's yeah. mad. It's, it's, you know? It seems as though, given what happened the season before, Gav, you know, when we spoke earlier on about this season, yeah. you were, one of the first things you said was that, you know, they have three pre-season tours in, 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 that, in that campaign. Yeah. It, was, it was a little bit crazy. It feels as though what happened the season before should have maybe injected more of a sense of seriousness yeah, going, going into this, this, this campaign. And I mean, it'd be absolutely. interesting to get your thoughts on this, on this Dave afterwards as well, but why did you, did you never get the sense that, that that was sort of Mike Walker's MO when he came to the football yeah, absolutely. club? Absolutely. Uh, I think... I mean, any team that sort of, I wouldn't say flirts or whatever, like in a stronger word than flares yeah. or relegates, well, it's technically Warmly relegated. Yeah. yeah, it's relegated yeah. for a bit on the final <laughs> day as you were. You know, I conceded, I think, most or second or third highest goals in the season. You think in during the summer that we'd be linked with defenders or strong midfielders mm. who can you know, show things up. We only have a link with strikers. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, there was a the whole host of strikers. I mean, Klinsman's name was mentioned, if I remember, yeah. at one stage. Um, Tony Yeboa, um, Chris Armstrong, which I think might got himself into trouble with, with Ron Noda, Crystal Palace chairman. Um, you know, and then obviously we, we went on board Amakati and we bought Vinny Samways. At no point were any defenders mentioned where that, but to me, <laughs> yeah. was the priority. Mm. And I think when, you know, Walker have been accused for having an ego and sort of all that type of stuff. You can see why, because there were just ego things to me at the mm. time. When really 100%. he should have he should have been shoring up the defence and buying, you know, buying a good centre half and, you know, a couple of defensive midfielders or whatever. And I know Parkinson came, it was there. Um and I think the only defender he bought was he bought he got David Burroughs in, it was immediately sold by Joe later <laughs> in the That is season. the worst bit of business yeah. Everton have ever yeah. done. We swapped Tony Cossey 
for David yeah. Burrows and gave West Ham money. Yeah. Worked that one out. You know, a guy who scored 99 goals for the club who was a reliable goal scorer. Yeah. Swapped for an ordinary left back, let's be polite. Yeah, it, yeah. as I say, Matt, going back to your question, that's what, it, in terms of MO, that, that sort of tells you all about Walker, mm. doesn't it? A completely dishevelled pre season tour, disorganised, mm. and only interested by strikers. Mm. I mean, that says a lot when, when you need to be doing the opposite, as you say, serious and buying the right place to keep us up, you know? Well, from what, what you've said there, sorry, Dave, from what you've said there, it sounds as. It, you know, it doesn't seem as though the players are being extremely stealthish, and you know, yeah. <laughs> you're cutting behind Mike Walker's back. It felt as though, as though, from what you were saying there, that he he was aware of what was going on behind the scenes and, and the situation. And I don't know if ignorance is, is the right word, but he sort of yeah. just maybe chose not to get a grip of it. They had a really good group of players there. I mean, yeah. the spirit in that squad it was second to none, and there were some absolute top class professionals. But they didn't believe in what Mike Walker was doing. I mean, they saw him. I mean, famously, he used to spend a lot of time sun worshipping on the uh, the pre-season trips. You know, he interviewed me once on the balcony of his uh, hotel room, and he insisted on me sitting with me back to the sun so he could absorb all the sun rays. And he sat there in his semi-trucks, <laughs> yeah, which was a bit weird. And then I, I mean, I know Snodd in particular used to get very wound up about that. He said, "How would it be busy? He'd be on the phone. He'd be trying to organise deals. You know, so what, what's he doing?" Yeah. And so there wasn't a great deal of belief in his methods. Mm. And I think he had a very purist vision of what he wanted his football team to be. Because, you know, it's not a city team had finished third, let's not forget yeah. the season before. But they finished third, I think they conceded more goals than they scored. Yeah. They had a dreadful defensive record. Mm. Yet when they clicked, like they did at Goodison and beat Everton 5-1, uh, they clicked beautifully. And, OK, they beat Bayern Munich, you know, in away game. Got beat in the second leg, but went through on away goals. But then got knocked out by Inter Milan. And I think so much significance was attached to that one result against Bayern Munich. So he had this very purist vision, but it didn't really sit with what Everson had there. I mean, Joe Royal said himself, he arrived at the club and he saw Andy Hinchcliffe in the reserves, Joe Parkinson yeah. in the mm-hmm. reserves, John Eberl in the reserves. And uh, he thought, why are they in the reserve team? You know, when we clearly need solidity, we clearly need, you know, so, some kind of platform. So the first thing he did was like ditched, shall we say, you know, sort of flair players, you know, Vinnie Samways, you know, players like that, and just went for a more solid base so we didn't lose games and, uh, you know, utilised the, the strengths that the squad had. And it was almost like a miraculous change. Plus, the players believed in Joe. I mean, you listen to some of the players now talk, and they loved that. Well, they still do mm. love that man. I mean, uh, Barry, Joe, Dave Watson, uh, you know, Neville Southall. Neville had his fallout with Joe later on. But, you know, so certainly the spine of the team, the, the stronger characters, believed in what Joe was trying to do. And so it did. It made a big difference. Yeah, in Mike's, Mike's defence, oh, and, and I can see where he was coming from in this to a degree. He was saying that the club had been in... Three, four for a number of years. Yeah, that it wasn't just his fault that things had had, had gone gone wrong, you know. And I, I sort of get that though he didn't help things. Is this that oh, speaking about players? It's that anecdote in the famous Mark Ward one, wasn't it about uh, <coughs> having Mike, Mike, yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike yeah. Walker at MW, you know, his car park space, which was also Mark Ward's. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Ward deliberately parked his car here, didn't he? You know, just to undermine yeah. him, you know, and have a bit of a laugh at his expense. But I think things were going wrong before Mike took over. He just made them made them worse. He had he had a strange. You forget how bad we were. I think what were we five points in twelve games or something mm. like that. Things were that bad that we we had two points from the opening like nine games or something. Uh, and uh, Eamon Holmes was taking the Mickey out of us on prime time tally, <laughs> saying, "No, what's the difference between a triangle and Everton? The triangle's got yeah. three points." So, well, this joking about that. Yeah. If Eamon Holmes is taking the Mickey out on prime time tally, you know there's uh, you know there's problems. And I think, Mike, it was a strange thing really, because these uh, they got Geraint and Ferguson in on loan, hadn't he, in October, 
Uh, they, 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 it started hopelessly. Got your Anson Ferguson on loan, which I think Peter jo- might have been Peter Johnson's sort of doing, you know. Mm. And then Mike Danon, yeah, he'd, he'd had three games where he'd won one and drew two. Don't only conceded one goal, so he got like five points and then, and then yeah. he sacked them. And I think he made the point that, well, the board backed me when I was doing badly. <laughs> I might have started to pick up <laughs> things and he'd give me Gerrans and Ferguson. They now sacked me. Yeah. And, 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 and I get that to, to a degree. But it was just, it was just, he also had this thing about, he reckons that he got sacked because Liverpool was the next game, wasn't it? Famous, as we all know. And he, he thought that Johnson. Was scared that if you won against Liverpool, you'd have, have to, to keep him on. You know, what I, mean? I, I, I remember that era yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very well, and I yeah. remember. I mean, the games that Everton had lost in the start of that season, they were dreadful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Mike Walker claimed we turned the corner, and we hadn't. We beat West Ham one 0 at home, and yeah. it was the streakiest one 0 when you've ever yeah. seen. We were very fortunate to win. Went to Norwich City and drew nil nil. And Peter Johnson told me this at the time. He said, you know, they had the board meeting and they sat down and said. What have the, both those? It was a dreadful nil-nil draw. It was appalling. He said, "What have those two teams got in common? They were both created by yeah. Mike Walker." And he says that was the reason they decided mm. they had to make a yeah. change. And you know, there was a fortnight's international break at the time, which gave them time to try and appoint somebody else, uh, which is why you know they then courted Joe and brought yeah. Joe in. Just, just for anyone who wasn't you know listening to this, who wasn't aware of quite how bad Everton were at the start of that campaign, uh, drew the opening game against Aston Villa, lost the next four. Drew the next two, then lost the next four without scoring a goal in any of those games against United, Southampton, Coventry and Palace. That 1-1 draw against Arsenal, the 1-0 win against West Ham and then Norwich. And like you said there, Pereno, um, a 16-day break before the... Uh, the I mean, is, is there was there any point in that that start... I mean, or maybe even before that, where you thought this is this is the end for him. There's, there's absolutely no. No, I, did, I didn't because bizarrely the supporters seemed to be behind him. You know, mm. there wasn't an outswell. It wasn't like a Roberto Martinez. You know, sort of mm. turning on the manager. Played Coventry at home and uh, did we get beat two 0 two Great yeah. goal Barry, by Dion Dublin. Barry Horn played right wing back. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. Barry would admit himself he was never a wing back. You know that that was just a strange thing to do. And uh, having lost the game two 0 the fans, you know, so we're giving like polite applause. Mike Walker walked onto the pitch yeah. and started waving to the fans, and the fans applauded him. Yeah. And we're thinking, what's going on here? You know, so <laughs> the fans were desperately wanting him to succeed, yeah. but clearly they weren't going to. But talking about how bad things were, one, you know, bizarre little anecdote going slightly off the left field. If you remember, that was the start of the season where the chairman, Peter Johnson, thought it was a good idea to replace Zed Cars. And for the opening game of the season, Zed Cars wasn't played and he replaced it with 2001 A Space Odyssey. And you can imagine the fans <laughs> looking around again. <laughs> what the hell? So... That was clearly a bad idea. So the second match, they replaced it with a version of Bad Moon Rising, which these uh, on the Swedish preseason sort of group of Swedes put together this Everton anthem with uh, you know the, the diff- different words. <laughs> and so they played that second game. The fans weren't having that either. Yeah. And so they eventually went back to Zed Cars. Very well meaning in very respect, many respects. Peter Johnson wanted to do the things the right way, but didn't quite gauge the mood of the fans on that one. Yeah, I wonder how the uh, space Odyssey of Sound of the Siren. Yeah, <laughs> but I think we forgot that we went out to the uh, the League Cup against Portsmouth as well, didn't yeah. we? Then? In a, in a lower division, yeah. I remember just saying there, the Coventry game. You know, things are going badly. Went there on Dublin scores an overhead kick yeah. from about twenty <laughs> yards. You know, and it was. I mean, we, we just we never got going at all, and we were conceding goals. I think there was there was there was thoughts that Southall and Watson were over the hill. Mm. I think, and Nev Nev was getting hate mail, wasn't he? Um, at one stage, I've supposed, and he had a bit of an altercation with fans when we play play QPR and Daniel Amakati scored, yeah. didn't he? I think never got himself involved with some supporters, mm. and it was not looking great. And there was there was, there was people pointing their fingers at Waggy and uh, Big Nev, strange enough, as things panned out, you know. So yeah, I'm just wondering about that. Do you think Dave? 
you were closer to it than me. Obviously, do you think with the fans? And I think the Wimbledon game had sort of the year before it like enabled them to try and back the manager and back the team a little bit more. I think because Sanderson's went mm. up by ten thousand, didn't he? Possibly, yeah. And if you think you're talking about you know so the players at Everton bought. I mean, Daniel Amakachi was a really charismatic signing. Yeah, um, you know, three million quid, and he'd scored that great goal for Nigeria in the World Cup. Uh, from 20 odd yards. So, you know, people thought that, you know, the manager was trying to create a more exciting Everton team. Vinny Samways was very easy on the eye. He just wasn't what Everton needed at the time. Yeah. They needed El Barras players like that, that, you know, ironically yeah. was derided by a lot mm. of fans at the time, but he was the very reliable defender that Everton needed. Yeah, so the other one, the other transfer that never was, would have been interesting to see you viewing it, was Muller, wasn't it? The Brazilian oh, fellow, yeah. which is just <laughs> that was a, a classic. Yeah. If, if you remember at the time, because Rick George used to work at the Echo back then, and you know, this we're talking pre-internet era, and Rick was a, a European football expert, and you know, so he used to you know sort of analyse European football to the nth degree. And whenever someone were linked with Muller, he'd said to me, he said, "Whoa, it's a dangerous signing, that." I said, "Why?" He goes, "Well, he's had this dreadful spell in Italy, you know, where he's a bit of a bit of a playboy, a bit of a maverick. Uh, he left this uh, room and they found like you know, two hundred thousand, you know, sort of quid lying around in loose change, and so it's just just a very odd character." So I went to see Mike Walker and actually tried to very very delicately broach the subject. And, you know, so saying, basically trying to say, look, you're signing a wrong one here, you know, so watch yourself. Mm. And I basically got halfway through my spiel. And David Prentice, I am not in the habit of signing bad footballers for Everton Football Club. <laughs> I, just, I just thought, I said, fine, fine. If you don't yeah. want to listen to what I've got to say, fine, we'll, we'll yeah. ignore it. So I did it. I just left. Anyway, as it was, we came very, very close to signing him, but didn't quite. Yeah. I mean, he turned up at Goodison with the, uh, the red blazer on, was it? And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, actually ended up you know, in the room next door. And it was only when, you know, Peter Johnson realised that he wanted his wages, you know, without tax being yeah, paid he wanted, on them. Yeah, he wanted, yeah. he wanted his wages without tax. He wanted a house. He wanted yeah. a car, didn't he, and everything. And then, as you say, the main thing I remember was his red blaze, which is not a yeah. great, move, great move when you're sort of signed for Evan. But that was just an example of some of the some of the stuff off the pitch. You know, it wasn't it wasn't joined up thinking. And it, it, it we, we were really in a bad play points from 14 games, wasn't it? We were really in a, in a bad place. I mean, that was being a November. Do the thing about that season, well, that's worth remembering, which might have informed the boards uh, thinking to a degree. Four teams went down, mm. not because we're going, they were doing the transition that, that the season, season, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, right. they were, there was the last yeah. season of 22 clubs, so they were going from 22 clubs to 20, which as it is now. So consequently, they had, they had to relegate four, four teams, so it was an extra relegation place. So people had them, they're, you know, looking over the shoulder a little bit more than what uh, they had done previously, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you paint a, you both paint a, a picture of a football club that's sort of on its knees and, and lacking leadership a little bit. You know, you mentioned there the results, eight points from from the fourteen games. You've got you know Brazilian and Brazilian lads nearly signing in red blazers. You've got the preseason. You've got good players in the reserves. With all that in mind, when you both found out that the Joe was going to be coming in, were you a little bit concerned about? Him potentially not not ruining his legacy, but certainly blemishing blemishing his legacy as a footballer. I was not concerned about him as an appointment, you know, because he was just the right man for the job. I was concerned with the mess he had to inherit, mm. um, but he turned it round so, so so quickly and quite simply, really. I mean, he watched Everton play a mini derby against um, the Liverpool reserves mm. at Anfield, you know, where Everton won four 0 and uh, he saw um, Joe Parkinson playing in the reserves. He saw John Ebrill, Andy Hinchcliffe there. So he just thought, right, let's get back to basics. Let's just strengthen the team and let's play to our strengths. You know, let's put Andy Hinchcliffe on the left because he can cross a ball. Um, you know, let's get balls into the box where Duncan Ferguson and Paul Rideout can attack them. So we did that. And, you know, ironically, you know, the Derby match, what a game to turn things around. I think Liverpool were third at the time. We were rock bottom. And, 
you talk about Portsmouth before, Gavin. I remember uh, being down in the hotel because Everton played Portsmouth on the Wednesday and then Southampton on the Saturday. So they stayed down. Yeah. And I stayed in the same hotel as them. And uh, I remember Duncan had no idea that I was a journalist at the time. Otherwise, he would have just blanked me. <laughs> but I saw him in the um, in, in the bar afterwards and he got injured against Portsmouth. His, his ankle was the size of a football. So he sat there strapped in ice and uh, all the players having a couple of beers. And uh, I just went over to him and I just said, do you think you'll hang around, Duncan? Do you think you'll stay, you know, so permanently? Aye, I wouldn't have thought so. Wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> uh, and I, just, I think at that time, he genuinely thought it yeah. was a loan. It was a three-month loan. Mm. But scoring that goal against Liverpool and the crowd reaction, the way the crowd took to him and the way, as Joe says, the play, you know, fans were hanging off his shoulders as he's walking off the pitch. I think he was a man in need of being wanted. And he just thought, wow, they love me here. You know, so wow, I'm wanted. And then, you know, he did the same against Leeds. He started on this run of, you know, sort of goal scoring. Yeah. And became a bit of a talismanic figure. He, uh, he did, wasn't he? I mean... You talk about the time getting going, as you say. Yeah, he signed yeah. it early October, not scored till the, the derby. The other, the, other, the other thing about, like, <laughs> example, how things not go well. Ian Durant, who, was a, who came down with him, Ferguson, remember, they got the shirt name wrong, didn't Yeah, they misspelled <laughs> shirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> spelled it with one R, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think there was the stack going into that derby that Robbie Fowler scored more goals that season than Everton had. Wow. That's how, that's how bad it was, you know. But it was, I mean, I think Joe perfectly... I thought suited because there wasn't a lot being offered. I think Ron Atkinson was being mentioned, and he was in like he had he'd just been given a vote of confidence mm. at Aston Villa, yeah. you know. Howard was mentioned again, and you're looking Peter Reid who was just starting then. Uh, I think he'd been sacked at City, I think Peter Reid. So you're looking at you're looking at the the other managers and thinking out of the out of their jobs, the the obvious choice, even though old man had gone down, and maybe he, he thought I don't know whether he thought it was, he'd missed the boat perhaps, but. Um, yeah, he was, Joe was undoubtedly the best appointment the club could have made at the time, you know. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting we spoke to Joe last summer for our Diaries of an Old Lady series that we're doing about Goodison Park and about his favourite games and, and one of them was that, that Liverpool game and he speaks about that spell of matches he had that time where you know he had Liverpool, Chelsea and Leeds in his first three games. He said after the Leeds game, he hadn't actually signed a contract with the football <laughs> club yet. Yeah, he, said he, yeah. you know, he said he was very much he was told to get down to Goodison Park pushed into a press conference, he took the job, um, you know, without any sort of administrative stuff being done. And then after the Leeds game, he sort of said to Peter Johnson, probably should have a contract now, shouldn't I? <laughs> so, you know, it sort of, it sort of falls in line with what, what the, the club are like yeah. at the moment. Well, Peter Johnson wanted to give him the same money he was on that Oldham initially, didn't he? Well, and then yeah. thought, uh, you know, we'll have a, we'll have a rethink mm. about that. Mm. But yeah, I think, Penno, we didn't concede a goal, did we, for ages under Joe? Broke the yeah, club yeah, record yeah. seven successive games without conceding a goal. I mean, to be fair, the first two of them were under Mike Walker. Yeah. But then the last next five were under Joe. And, you know, from a team that had shipped goals, you know, mm. like a sieve, to yeah. you know, achieve that was an incredible turnaround. Bizarre, we then conceded four. I think it was. It always uh, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those rules of football. Yeah. When you go ages without conceding, <laughs> when you do, you can yeah. see about yeah. now. The player who started really playing now was Unsworth, wasn't he? Really came yeah, yeah. into his own, I think. Well, yeah, he finished last season. If one of the players of the season, yeah, uh, established himself as like a well, he played for England in the, the end of that season as well. You mm. know, central defence, and then ultimately became a fullback after that. He even played centre forward at one stage. Jerry Cole, <laughs> he, he got Walters a number, number nine, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think also the other player that you mentioned, we did mention there, was coming from the cold was Limpar, wasn't he? Yeah, because uh, I think he was in the reserves and. He, he was part of that sort of rarest of beast. I win at Chelsea, yeah, wasn't it? <laughs> so last time he won there, yeah. well, he yeah. crossed the ball for Rideout. It was, uh, you know, so he was just Joe describes him as the, you know, the best player he's ever played, but you know, ever managed a genius, he used to call him. And on his day, he could be uh, mercurial. I mean, 
It's funny actually because you know again I was so close to the players and they all had like nicknames for each other and Anders's nickname was LS. Uh, it stands for little, not sweet, but you know yeah, so, yeah. So something that rounds a twit. Yeah. But not because the players thought he was that. The players got on great with him, but because George Graham apparently used to refer to him as that, and they'd heard of that, and so they thought right he becomes LS. Yeah. And so yeah, he could be you know so an awkward individual to manage I suppose but Joe you know so initially I had a great time with him they fell out you know so towards the end I think you know Anders's commitment you know so Joe felt disappointed by on a couple of occasions but certainly for that 18 month spell he was tremendous absolutely magnificent because I know he scored the cup final but I was going to ask you the opinion on he scored the cup final he's sort of forgotten isn't it Paul Rydhouse he was mm-hmm. top scorer yeah. for us yeah. last season he scored, he scored in Joe's first three games there and those wins over Liverpool, Chelsea and, uh, and Leeds as well yeah and he sort of when they talk about number nine he scored the winning goal for us in the cup final top scorer that season but he doesn't really get a mention does he Paul Rydhouse it's funny actually yeah because he, he flies under the radar as a kid he was like he was going to be like a wonder wonder boy. He scored yeah. that incredible goal for England schoolboys against Scotland. I think it was you know hooked volley. And everyone thought, wow, who's he's like Wayne Rooney type, mm. you know, sort of player. Who's this going to be? And he never quite lived up to that potential. And uh, Everson were desperate for a, a more traditional centre forward. I mean, Howard had done his, his midget gems. You know, he'd had uh, was it Mo Johnston and Peter Beardsley. Mm. You know, sort of forward line that you know, did okay, but you know, I think we needed somebody that was a bit more dominant. You know, aerially, and uh, the club was basically struggling financially at the time. So I think he's only 500 grand, Paul Rydhouse. Mm. So he came in initially as a traditional centre-forward and the fans were a little bit underwhelmed because he wasn't a traditional centre-forward. He was a technically very good footballer. Mm. If you remember, in one of his last games, he played centre-midfield against Tottenham and ran the show. Mm. Uh, 1-1-0, Gary Speed scored. And he, he was a very, very good footballer. And he scored so many goals last season, but important. He scored the goal that kept us up away at Ipswich. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, probably doesn't get spoken of as often as he should do, really. You know, yeah. So give him what he achieved for the so club. Even his cup final goal, it's like, oh, well, you, you know, you tapped in. Should have been Graham Stewart. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a Graham Stewart yeah. against the bar. Yeah. Well, that just shows you. That was the, I'm talk about it later, probably, but that was it. That was it. It was a difficult. It's difficult, but to get pace on that, place yeah. it from a, like a stand yeah. and star from a ball that's really you know travelling very slowly. It was a, technically it was a great, it was a great header. And I just think the Saints scored the winning cup goal in the cup final last time we won a trophy, but. You never get spoken about. I find that really odd. To be honest, mm. think some of the other players that would get spoken about. It's you know? funny sometimes. Everton supporters, you need something a little bit indefinable to be to be a hero. I yeah. don't know. I mean, Andy Gray, for argument's sake, who was only at the club eighteen months, but you know, twenty four carats Everton legend for me. Despite you know what you might think of what happened with him, I know so when his football career yeah. ended. Uh, and yeah, somebody like Paul Rydhouse, you know, so they didn't really take too quite as much. And it's strange. You need to have that little sprinkling of something that fans can. Uh, <laughs> can attach to and you know for whatever reason Paul Ryder didn't quite get it I mean appreciated but not yeah. adored mm. yeah. just on the rest of the, the league season then before we go and talk about the cup obviously Joe won his first three games in charge after that as Evertonians were you thinking we're going to be alright here this is absolutely fine or, or was there a sense of you know you mentioned the Ipswich game there where they do actually officially seal Safety in the in the Premier League was there was there a sense of nervousness going into that last portion of the season or was it very much a case of Joe's got this? I I, I think the other lesser. I think it was just like typical Evertonian mentality. Oh, we're fine now. Yeah, we're all right. You know, so we're going in the right direction. But it took 
as Joe said at the time, European qualification standard football to keep Everton up from a team that had been playing bottom of the table football for a third of the season. So, you know, yeah, maybe we're getting a bit too carried away with it at the time. Uh, you know, we, the, the famous 1-0 home win against Manchester United, you know, yeah. so the victory over Liverpool. It needed those kind of victories yeah. uh, to actually keep Everton up. But yeah, we probably did think, oh, it's all right. You know, so Joe, yeah. I certainly felt that way. See, I was the opposite. You know, yeah, funny you, enough, you've always been a miss. Anyway, because I'll tell you why. Those games you're talking about, those three, they were the only consecutive league games we won all season. Yeah. We, we never put a run together yeah. after that where we moved clear. We were always like win, draw, loss, or you know, draw, draw, draw. We never accumulated the, like points in a small number of games mm. unable to clear the mm. um the relegation zone. When we played when we played Newcastle at home after we beat Spares, I think it was the, the the Good Friday. We were in the relegation zone. Yeah. We were nineteenth, um, and Amakati scored too. So we never really we, we played. At, I always remember we played Wimbledon. I think at the start of May, and Norwich was just behind us. And mm. we drew at home. We drew loads of games at home when we. Mm. we I think yeah. we drew against was it Southampton or Chelsea when we should yeah. have won. Drew five the last six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we we, we drew nil nil against Wimbledon. And Norris was just behind us, and Liverpool won at Carrow Road, and it was one of the only times I remember, like when the result coming through. You know, there was there was a smattering of like little bit of cheering going on, like <laughs> Not you know, yeah. Cheer, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Put it this way, it was celebrated a little bit more than than, than, than a normal Liverpool win. And I, I was, we just we, we we never seemed to get away, and and. In, in retrospect now, when you look back on it, I think the cup final win, but I, for me, at that time, I was still always looking over over my shoulder, you know. Mm. We'll get back to Preno and Gab's tales from the 1994-95 season shortly, but let's hear now from the person who made all of that happen. It is Big Joe Royal, the Everton manager, and he was the man chosen by Everton to rescue what was a perilous start to that campaign. It's Big Joe now having a chat with Dave Downey. What sort of state was the club in when you arrived in, in regards to team morale? Uh, I, I obviously, I, I presume it was on its haunches at the time. And when I came back as manager? Yeah. Um, bottom of the table, you know, eight points from exactly a third of the season on schedule for 24 points. Um, a team that had been assembled um, and, and I don't think that really found out what their best team was and their best way of playing. So that, that was the, the first task was to, you know, my first actual game in charge was at Anfield when Everton Reserves took on and beat Liverpool Reserves. Mm. Um, Joe Parkinson was in the team. Andy Hinchcliffe was in the team. <clears throat> I think John Eberle was there too. And I, I thought immediately, well, they're going to play for me because I knew what they did and I knew where, how strong they were going to be. <clears throat> what I did, what I was fortunate to inherit was uh, um, an, a strong backbone of Neville Southall, Gary Ablett, um, Dave Watson, Barry Horn, all top professionals, you know, who were a little bit undermined and, and worried about the situation. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we got them on side. I played with Dave Watson at Norwich briefly and um, I knew him from way back. And the people were telling me, you know, that Waggy's finished and that Neville Southall's finished. You know, he's letting in too many daft goals. <clears throat> and it wasn't that at all. It was just that there was no protection in front of them. The, you know, they, they were a lightweight team. I, I took away um, 
maybe a dozen um, videos, VHSs as they were then, mm. and what's the game, and Willie Donachie took a few away as well, and we both came back and said the same thing, soft touch. Mm-hmm. So we were determined then to make the side, first of all, hard to beat to get a base. Um, and and that's that's what we started with. You know, a rather strange setup in my first game in charge against Liverpool of playing um, Andy Hinchcliffe in front of um, in, in front of Gary Ablett, you know, because they were very strong down that side with Jones, who was a young attacking fullback, and um, the, the first the, the first well the, the most important thing was to stop them before we even got going, and then um, we, we we battled out of it. John Ebro, Barry Holm was was amazing, and uh, Duncan of course scored his first ever goal for the club after five games. With hardly a shot on goal, Duncan scored, and then Paul Rideout got the second, and and we were up and running. And that was the start. Of, you you won your first three, didn't you? And virtually against all odds. I mean, I'd love to know what a bookmaker would give us to win those three on the spin. Exactly, you know, it was, and then you know, when I'd gone away after agreeing to do the job, and I still didn't have a contract hmm. for about six weeks. Um, I'd looked at the fixtures then when I got the job and thought, God, what have I done? You know, the, yeah. as you say, the, the first three fixtures were Liverpool and then away at Chelsea and then home to Leeds, three of the top six. And, um, you know, it, it was going to be a long, hard season, I thought. But, you know, I've got to say straight from the off, the, the players that um, they bought into the new regime of pressing and closing, we were doing that before anyone was talking about pressing and closing uh, and we became not nice to play against you know nobody was enjoying playing against us we weren't a soft touch anymore when when you first come in joe i just want to get a little bit into the the detail of of what the players at the time felt um obviously yourself coming back as a club legend but they must have been in one hell of a state having had that horrendous run under mike walker yeah, I mean, it's not for me to, to talk about any other manager yeah. and things that had happened or anything, but, you know, they, they were low. You know, they, they didn't like losing all the time. They, as I say, they, they had only eight points after 14 games. You know, and, and having said that, reversing that form, you know, from being on schedule to get 24 points, we actually finished the season with 50 points. Mm. You know, which from where, they, where we were... And then all credit to the players, they, they bought into exactly what we wanted, which was, you know, with probably three in midfield. We we opened out a bit later on, you know, when Anders was playing consistently well for us. Um, but we were still hard to beat. <clears throat> and I've got to say that Joe, Joe Parkinson came into the side um, and, and he he grew into a Trojan that would, would but for injuries, would have played for England, no doubt at all about that. Um, and Johnny Everill alongside him in midfield, you know, and, and we, we were we were hard to beat. Barry Horn, you know, he, he was enjoying, he came up to me one day and he said, this is the kind of football I've been waiting to play. And, and that was, that gave me such a big smile and a big thrill. Mm. And that, that, you know, I mentioned before that the senior players that were there were good pros. I just felt that we were lightweight, and so we changed that. That did that mentality take much to instill in these players? I know you mentioned that Barry Horn there coming up <clears> to you <throat> saying uh, how much he preferred playing that style of football, but was it 
Was it a little bit more difficult to win certain players over, or did they adapt to it straight away? Well, they, I wouldn't say it was difficult for players. One or two players felt that they were left behind by it. I mean, none more so probably than Vinnie Samways, mm-hmm. who was suspended when I first came um, and then came to see me after we just went th- won three games to see where it left him. And I said, well, I can't change the, the the team at the moment, Vinnie. You know, I mean, you can see we've just won three games and, you know, we're, we're doing very well. Um, but I, I, I rated Vinnie as a footballer and I, I did say to him, you know, there will be a time when you'll get your chance. Um, and that's probably where the... I was constantly being um, asked by interviewers, you know, when's Vinnie Samway's going to play? And I was giving them the same answer. And then I came out with the the phrase that I never thought would be taken on by everybody. I said, listen, the way we're playing at the moment is an aggressive attacking style, you know, a, a dogs of war style, if you like. And of course... It was great at the time. People didn't like playing against us. There were T-shirts with dogs, um, you know, <laughs> frothing, frothing at the jaw on them, and uh, and the fans took it up. But of course, later on, it was used as something to beat me with by mm. the by the local press. That the FA Cup run comes along, obviously in January. We be Derby one nil at home. Uh, did you? And and this, I think, it's a very pertinent question to ask at the moment, given how. The FA Cup's being treated this season, in particular, by certain managers and clubs. Yeah. Um, you know, you you look at the. We were still in the mire then. Make no mistake about it. Around January, by no means any guarantee we were going to stay in the top flight. Did you see the FA Cup as an opportunity that was maybe a little bit of escapism, or was it a hindrance? Because I'm pretty sure nowadays many managers would throw out the second string and and as they have done this season, and think, well, you know, it'd be great if we weren't in this, so we can focus on the league. I didn't see it as a hindrance and I didn't see it as a help. Uh, it was a bit of a worry. Um, the squad wasn't that big, you know, and then a lot of the players were playing all the time. Um, I was worried about injuries, you know, yeah. if we got an injury or a suspension in the FA Cup that would affect our um, our, our league status. I mean, I said all along, you know, the, the FA Cup wasn't a problem to us, but it, it wasn't a boon until, of course, we won the semi-final, and then it became a massive boon to us. Yeah. You know, we, we we love playing in the FA Cup. I mean, I was very proud. We only conceded one goal in the whole FA Cup run, and that was the semi-final dodgy penalty given yeah. against Waggy. You know, but 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 at the same time, you know, we I wanted to keep the team together. I wanted to keep the rhythm together. The, the players, you know, become important in that. You know, the same players playing all the time. But we we had some great performances. We beat Norwich in style. We were outstanding in the semi-final at um, at Leeds against Tottenham. And, and I, being an Everton fan, would say that was one of the most outstanding performances I've seen from a, an Everton side. You know, we were that good on the day. So, you know, the, the, the FA Cup had its benefits. <clears throat> I did also say, for me, that the most important thing that season was surviving. I, I didn't. I didn't and wouldn't would have hated on my CV the manager that took Everton down. Although I do believe, you know, considering where we were when I came in, I probably wouldn't have got all the no. blame. But I still want that. Didn't want that on my CV, and I saw that. You know, when they, when we we had finally stayed up with about three or four games to go, I think against Ipswich, and um, we knew we were going to be safe then. And and on the way home, it was more relief than 
you know, them, them party hats and streamers. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 the FA Cup wasn't a hindrance, but until we got to the FA Cup, until we got to the FA Cup semi-final, it wasn't that great either. Well, I was going to say, I mean, was there a growing feeling, I mean, when you go through the rounds, when you get that fantastic win, the, the, the scrappy 1-0 against Bristol City away, and then that fantastic game against Norwich. It, it, do the players then, is it is it difficult to keep a cap on players then when they start seeing the, oh, well, we're into the last 16 now, we're into the quarterfinals? Is is the excitement difficult to sort of keep a lid on and, and try and maintain the focus of the league and the situation we were still in? I, I think they were starting to believe we had a serious chance um, when we beat Newcastle. Um, I think that was in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And then they, they started to realise, because... Our form was getting constant. And don't forget, we beat Man United at home in this run, you know, to get ourselves out of trouble. You know, to start with the eight points that we had and finish with 50 was a tremendous feat. You know, they, and a lot of the players played in, I would say, 90 to 95% of the games. You know, so the, the, the feeling after the... I, I thought that after Newcastle, one or two were starting to think about Wembley. And you you look at the games that followed the the FA Cup in, in the aftermath. I mean, you look when we beat Spurs four one, we go on a what eight game unbeaten run all the way to the end of the season and the final. So clearly, it was working in tandem at that point, Joe. Yeah, it, it, it was. It, it, the team was gelling. You know, we were coming together, and there were there were one or two people. I mentioned Vinny before. Vinny came on at Newcastle, and uh, you know. It, we were losing. We were down to 10 men anyway. I think Earl Barris had been sent off. Uh, and I just said to him, Vinny, run the left-hand side. You know, just um, just go on there and do what you can do because he, he was a fine and talented footballer. I said, just keep the ball and, you know, it's going to be hard for us to win this game anyway with 10 men. And that, he's coming off the pitch and I decided I was going to give him a, a bit of encouragement because he'd done fine. I said, hey, well done, Vinny. You know, well done, Vinny. I thought he did fine there, mate. And he just said, I don't really want to play there, though. You know, and I thought, mm. well, that's not really the answer I want to hear, no. Vinny. So he got his chance in, in the um, charity shield. You know, he, he scored a goal in the charity shield and was doing well, but he wasn't the regular that he wanted to be. And, and unfortunately, he can only play 11. Yeah. No, but I... People thought I had a, a down on Vinny Samways. I certainly didn't. You know, I admired him as a footballer. You know, I'd, I'd seen him come through Tottenham uh, ranks as a kid, and, and he, he was going to be an England player, everyone thought. But, you know, he, he was one of the unfortunate, well, few casualties. I'm, I'm just thinking, Joe, you know, when we're still, um, you mentioned that game against Ipswich where our safety was confirmed. Do, did the club back then have contingencies in case we did go down? Was it was it a conversation with yourself that was perhaps ongoing, or was there no mention of that really? Never mentioned. Never mentioned. I mean, from the the way we started off, my very first board meeting, um, you know, they they were all alive, they were all up for us, and and that, and from that board meeting on was it was never ever mentioned, you know, because we never once we came out of the bottom three. We never really went back into it. It was always there just behind us. But um, I do remember one of the early board meetings just before the third round of the FA Cup. And um, I, I just said as a, a throwaway to him, I said, listen, have a little bet on us, you know, which you could do in those days. I said, have a little bet on us. And uh, I said, because we're playing cup football. 
you know, cup football, up on Assam football, you know, front foot football. And uh, I know that one one of the board members who I shan't mention did have quite a substantial bet on us, didn't he? He was <laughs> a 25-to-1, he was very happy. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Um, in your personal achievements, both as a manager and as a player with the club, was that trophy lift at Wembley, was that, would you say that's fair to say it's your proudest moment as an Evertonian? Wembley? Yeah. My my biggest thing, the 94 and 95 season was staying up, and I, I would rate that above winning at Wembley. I always said Wembley was for the fans, and, and it was, and, it, and it, it still is. Where I can't understand why people undervalue the FA Cup. You know, it's the greatest. I, I'd seen the value of the FA Cup and Cups in general at Oldham when we had a Cup season. You know, we had a Cup season that uh, took us to the final of the League Cup and the semi-final and the semi-final replay against Manchester United, a little Oldham, and the fans that we took <clears throat> excuse me, on board you know, from that, from gates that were generally around about four or 5,000, we were getting fourteen and 15,000 mm. for cup games. And the, the cup is, is, is a marvellous, marvellous thing, and, and it shouldn't really be neglected. Mm. On on that entire run, Joey, I mean, you mentioned it's it's for the fans there, but, you know, even looking at that, we're constantly underdogs, aren't we, throughout this season? That That's, that's the theme about it. Do, do you think... And it probably hark back a little bit to David Moyes' time at the football club. Do you think Everton at times when, when they have been had their backs up against the wall, that's when they've tended to, to be the best and, and come out fighting? I, I think that we have to mention it with the success of our neighbours. Yeah. You know, there, there always has been a, an underdog mentality about it. You know, and and you know, Liverpool was still a powerful side when we when we beat them. Don't forget, I'm very proud to say that under my tenure at Goodison Park, we were unbeaten against Liverpool. Yeah. You know, including the famous winner Anfield when Andre and Chelsea scored too. But you know, that's not just me being a, a blue moaner or anything like that. But the, the fact is that our, whether we like it or not, our neighbours have been outstandingly successful. Mm. And you know, there, there was that underdog part that we had to consider. You mentioned the cup run again before. You know the, the the biggest problem we had in that cup run was a Bristol City, yeah. Because there was a, shall we say, there was an attack of um, tummy problems in in the camp. <laughs> you know, we ended up with one or two running off the pitch very quickly at half time, and um, you know we we weren't good at all. If their outside right, who had a storming game, could have finished, we'd have been out the cup and. Uh, I do remember saying in the interviews afterwards, I do hope we've not used all our luck up in one game. Yeah. Well, as it happened, we hadn't. Had. We, 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 even if we had, I think the way we steamrolled Norwich in the next round, I mean, there was a, a genuine momentum about that then, wasn't there? There was, and I can still see the big fella now striding clear. And people talk about Duncan Ferguson's assets, you know, his um, physicality, his power in the air. Duncan was very, very quick. Once he opened those long legs of his, he took a lot of catching. Mm. And I remember him striding clear from the halfway line, um, waving somebody out of his way and smashing the ball over the goalkeeper. And, my God, you know, the, but for injuries, Duncan could have been a serious contender for, for what, possibly the, the best equipped number nine of all time. Mm. I mean, he's... Obviously revered for that season, for that time, for everything he, he brought to the club. But would you say that, I mean, I presume the answer to this is quite a lot of them, but 
unsung heroes in that side um, from when you first come in? I, I don't think so. I think from the very first day. I mean, I can remember him now when we'd beaten Liverpool 2-0, being carrying, you know, walking off the pitch carrying kids on his arms and, <laughs> you know, you know, they were clinging on to him. He he was he was a talisman. Oh no, I meant the rest talisman. of the squad, uh, Joe. You know, the, the other players in the in the squad. Did you feel that there were some of them who didn't get as much credit as they probably perhaps should have? I, I um, there will always be undersung players. There were in in, in sixty nine seventy. I always felt that Johnny Morrissey, Jimmy Husband, yeah, you know, players like that, and Keith Newton and Sandy Brown, John Hayes. Were, were totally undersung, you know. So you will always get that. You know that that's unavoidable. And yes, there were. I mean, you, you look at some of the names there. That that team that started the final, for instance. I mean, Matt Jackson, just a, just a solid right back. I mean, it, it epitomised everything that that team stood for, didn't it? The likes of him. You mentioned Barry Horn, Joe Parkinson. I mean, what he could have gone on to achieve, Joe, without those injuries. Joe would have played for England when um, at the peak of his form. For myself, or with myself, uh, Terry Venables had rung up and asked about him, you know, is he really as good as I've seen? And I said, yeah. And he was that ideal build, that ideal... Um, his his talents were he was almost a centre-half, but probably not quite strong enough in the air. And he was all, almost a, a classical midfield player because he was so strong and so quick. Joe was lightning across 10 yards as well, believe it. He would definitely, definitely, definitely have played for England, mm. but for injuries. And just finally to finish off, Joe, did you feel there was ever a definitive turning point in that season, or was it just like fly by the seat of your pants as soon as you get in and just start building momentum from there? Was was there a point that you could definitively say, yeah, that was it. That was when things started clicking together really well for us. Yeah, the Liverpool game. Yeah. Quite honestly, you know, I've I've still got an old VHS, so you know, one of those big chunky videos somewhere yeah. and we, we drag it out now and again, you know, when my boys are here, my three sons, and uh, we still watch it and, and I still swear that the roof moved when Duncan scored his first ever goal for the club the night after being breathalyzed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just one of the points that I think I just wanted to ask you about. The camaraderie amongst the players was was that... Amazing. 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 Yeah. Amazing. The, the dressing room... Uh, was never listen. Nowhere's ever quiet where Neville's concerned. And then you have the other side of it, which is Dave Watson, who was as dry as the desert. Um, you know, youngsters coming in. Johnny Ebra was still young in the team, or one of the younger ones. Uh, and then there's the, the the more sophisticated humour, Randy Hinchcliffe mm. and Matt Jackson. You know, both very clever boys. <clears throat> Barry Horn was was solid. No, it was a great dressing room all the way through. And by the way, Graham, Graham Stewart was another one who was probably undersung, mm. but also Terry Venables asked about him for the England squad as well. I, I've told Graham this many times, and he still never believes me, but Graham Stewart's form that season was outstanding. Well, I remember that in, throughout your tenure, Joe, he was he was such a good player for us. I remember him in, in that derby at Anfield when Conchelsea scored the two. He tried yeah. this audacious lob over David James, and it hit the bar and the, the post. Bar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was he, such a. I mean, he, he was in, in modern parlance. He's probably that that number ten role, isn't he? That so many teams utilise these days. He suffered really through being such an all rounder because even at Chelsea, where he started, he joined them as a right back, and then 
you know, they realised there was more to him than that, so they played him wide right. And then he'd been playing more under Mike Walker as an inside forward, you know, with Gary Rowett outside him. Mm. And, you know, and, and then as an out-and-out striker. But you're right, we, we dropped him off against Liverpool. You know, we, we had a plan of what we were going to do. And it involved Graham dropping into the role, which he'd probably never been asked to do before. And he just talked to He was a very clever footballer. Paul Rideout, you know, great technician, again, very undersold, underrated. Everyone saw what Anders was. You know, Anders was probably the, the greatest talent that I've ever had the fortune to manage and coach and work with. But um, he was also enigmatic. You talk about dry, dry character, show just just on Paul Rideout. Was he was he like that as, internally as a player? Was he seemed to be quite dry on the exterior? He was quiet. He was always smiling. He was he was one of the one of the packs. Certainly, you know, he wasn't what you call a leader in the dressing room, but he he wasn't a shrinking violet either. You know, and he showed he he was a proper footballer. The ball was his friend. It seldom came away from him. You know, and and, and I had a, a funny one there. We had Daniel Amakachi, who was a diamond in the dressing room. Another one, you know, and. I can still see Daniel now dancing round to the House of Pain, you know, <laughs> and, and you know it, it, it was all part of what was happening in the dressing room. And you should never underestimate the value of a smile in a football club. But they they had a great humour amongst them. But I had I had Duncan Ferguson, Daniel Amakachi, Graham Stewart, Paul Rideout, you know, all what Everton would give for two or three of them now. I know, mm. you know, they they were all top strikers yeah. so very fortunate that as I say I inherited a, a strong squad it's just probably that some of them weren't playing <laughs> <laughs> yes and, and weren't enjoying what they were doing which obviously by and large you brought to that squad well they too. did, they yeah. did. Willie, Willie Donachie's a great coach and we, we worked hard we decided we were going to be hard to beat first and foremost so we worked on pressing and closing pressing and closing, stopping sides and hence the, the, the dogs of war which is was hard, and I, I'd probably regret saying it, but it was meant with a smile at the time. Um, they call it now a high press, a low press. You know, there's there's all kinds of pressing going on, but we were one of the first to press. Yeah, yeah, that that's it. You're probably a victim of the actual phrase itself, aren't you, Joe? Because so many sides <laughs> yeah. use that now and treat it as some sort of pioneering idea. By the way, all the top sides do. Yeah. You know, if you ever watch Liverpool. Their front three running backwards mm. to you know to win the ball back. Manchester City the same, you know. The, we haven't quite got to that yet, but to be successful, I'm sure that the new manager Ancelotti will want you know greater work rate from the front players. But um, it, it's just common now. Great stuff there from Joe, and now back to Gav and Dave as we continue our journey in the 1994-95 season. Do you think? Look, moving on to the cup run then, Dave. Do you think that maintaining that edge in terms of performance and competitiveness throughout the course of the season and being on the ball and focused going into every single game helped Everton in that cup run in the main? Because I imagine if Joe had got them up to mid-table, 12th, 10th, it would have been quite easy for them to just, you know, take their eye off the ball a little bit. 100%. I mean, as Joe himself says, we were playing cup-tie football 
But equally, it was almost like um, a distraction from the very real threat of going down. It was like the pressure was off for cup ties. Mm -hmm. Derby County at home, we can breathe out a little bit, just enjoy this, you know, and sneak that one. And then, you know, I know it sounds like, you know, easy in hindsight, but after that Bristol City away game, I genuinely thought, wow, this could be our year because we got battered, absolutely Mm -hmm. battered. And um, I went onto the pitch afterwards to try and do a player interview and it was a quagmire. It was like so thick. And yeah, you know, Everton got absolutely destroyed. Neville had a blinder. Um, I forget who was playing up front uh, for Bristol City, but you missed two or three one-on-ones. Yeah. And then Matt Jackson scores the kind of goal he will never score again in his career. <laughs> uh, an absolutely blinding volley from 20 yards. And that went in. You just think, how did that happen? That was a left foot. It was a left foot as well. It was. It was, it was just was, incredible. Yeah, yeah. It was his first goal for us as yeah. well, wasn't it? And then, you know, the, the draw was, I wouldn't say kind after that. Norwich at home was the kind of draw you wanted in the fifth mm. round. But then, you know, Newcastle were flying at the time, but to get them at home in the quarterfinal was great as well. But yeah, you just had a sense, I thought, that the pressure was off in cup ties. And so that helped them in the cup ties. There was nothing to lose, so they just went into it and enjoyed it. Yeah, because I remember we we beat Bristol City um, and on my birthday, actually, but there you go. And uh, (laughs) the... The thing about that that comes out, so then you get a fifth round draw against Norwich. You were like, I said they were struggling. You think, will you get through that in the sixth round then? And yeah. you know, anything can happen. And the thing about the cup, that cup run where it got momentum, I think it was every tie was just a little bit more difficult than the one before. We yeah. never got a stonking tie yeah. early on. Yeah. You know, like Bristol City away was probably a difficult, difficult game than Derby. Norwich's home was then playing a Premier League team. Mm. Then you play Newcastle, the better Premier League team, and uh, Norwich at home and then you're playing Spurs yeah. who are new to ground who are probably a better team than Newcastle mm. so that, that cup run generated a bit of momentum by that that we're always just going up a notch every mm. uh, every game I think that kept people on the toes you know yeah I mean looking at the run you mentioned that Norwich game there the 5-0 I was watching some highlights of that game today was that sort of one of the, the best performances of that campaign you've got to say or was it a case of them focusing on their relegation and resting a few players I mean, no, didn't teams didn't rotate squads then. Yeah, that didn't yeah. happen. It was like, you know, first choice team, you know, so every game. Norwich weren't a great side that season, but if you remember, we beat them 2-1 in the league and that was like a real tough game. Vinny Samways might have uh, had an influence on that game. One of the rare games he played under Joe and, you know, so it did really well. Yeah, but it's just one of those days where everything clicked, you know, so Anders scored, if I recall correctly, an absolute mm. blinder from 20-odd yards. And uh, everything just seemed to go right. And Graham Stewart scored a beautiful finish right at the end. Duncan ran from the halfway line. Yeah, nearly <laughs> the back of the goal, didn't he? At the, uh, the yeah, and that, that was an example of a football team enjoying itself. You know, so they were just like really enjoying that occasion. You know, that afternoon. Uh, so it was that. That was probably the performance of the cup tie or cup run up until that point because the semi-final by a country mile mm. is the best team performance that season yeah. bar none you know, mm. so including Liverpool including Man United including the cup final itself mm. that was an astonishingly good performance well, that day Well what was so good about that that display then you know we've all seen the highlights time yeah. after time I, I, you know, I've, not, I've not watched the full game back for, for yeah. a few years it's got to be said but what what was it that Everton did so well that day that disrupted Spurs? You know, who Joe famously said were the media darlings and all well, that. Well, it, it, it was. It was belief. It was Everton were a better quality football team than people believed. Everyone thought that they were this dogs of war team that were just knocking long balls into the box for Duncan Ferguson to get on the end of. And they weren't. They would have had quality uh, as they showed that day. Joe Parkinson's little drag back everybody talks about. Yeah. You know, so, which, you know, again, he was a quality footballer at the time. Um we conceded uh, a penalty that day, and Jurgen Klinsmann dived for yeah. it. That, you know, that really riled them because they, you know, they wanted to keep a clean sheet all the way through to Wembley. 
they showed that day that they were a good quality football team as well as a team that could battle and could fight. And famously, of course, we had three sides of the ground. You know, yeah. The FA in their wisdom decided they were going to give the big, massive, tiring, <laughs> spying cop end to the Spurs fans. Yeah. And so you know, that equated to, for argument's sake, 20,000 fans. So we'll give Everton the other 20,000. But that was three sides of the pitch. So it turned up and yeah, it felt like that, you know, so we were the team that was the home team. Yeah, and as everybody knows, Alan Rowe's always been the, uh, the bogey ground. Oh, just the bit, you know? yeah. And uh, I think some context to the Spurs game, because there was an incessant story. They'd actually been thrown out the cup. And if you remember at this, this that the previous that summer, summer though, yeah. they'd been thrown out the cup and barred 12 league points for financial irregularities. And Alan... Stop man, guys. Yeah. You are not many. Alan Sugar. <laughs> yeah. To the Alan Sugar, I think. That was when he's just getting over this battle with Venables and stuff. I think, I'm not sure they took him to court or appealed and they, they got put back in the cup. And I remember that run thinking, fatal determined, having been, you know, you can see the quest which team yeah, was yeah. Classic not Everton, in the FA yeah. Cup and, <laughs> and uh, you know, then wins it. And then what people remember, forget as well, in the quarter final, they won at Anfield, didn't they, Spurs? 2 1, Teddy Sheringham and Clinton scored near the end. And you're looking at that thinking, oh, let's set up this for the Spurs. You know, Spurs yeah. going to win the cup. And then they get drawn against us, and you think, oh, you know, Everton, you know. And the complete opposite happened on the day. There was, Joe was very clever that day because they did, I can't remember who was injured for them, but there's a young left back called Stuart Nethercott. Right. And Joe played Limpar on the right. Yeah. Not the left, because he knew he'd he'd he'd, he'd, he'd uh, give Nethercott a really hard time, and Plano was right. I mean, we there was the only goal we conceded, wasn't it? And it was a penalty. Um, and the turn we scored one. Matt Jackson he scored. He was the first player to score twice for us in the campaign, hadn't he? All the all our goals have been all yeah, the different yeah. players, and then ironically enough. Um, Ian Walker, who was Mike Walker's son, he was the space keeper, wasn't That's it? Right, yeah. Then we scored the second one where he, he missed, missed, kicked missed it, fluffed the kick, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then you're thinking, two 0 they gone, and then he got back in. And it, I don't remember Plano. It turned on. It was a great save by Southall at the the near post from Jurgen Klinsmann from a mm. half volley. So it went two one, didn't it? To make it. If that had gone, it would have been too old. I think we went away. That the infamous substitution, which I'm sure Prano can tell us about, about uh, <laughs> that Daniel substitution. Well, well, I mean, Joe said it many, many times. I mean, um, I think it was Paul Rydout went down, did he? Yeah. And um, Les Helm was like waiting on the edge of the touchline to, to go on and go and treat him. And so Daniel, you know, quite rightly got up and started warming up straight away. And so the referee thought he was ready to come on and so ushered him on. And so Daniel just went straight on. And Joe's running up there saying, no, 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 I haven't decided yet. And then, you know, it turns out that, you know, so Paul Ryder was interested. You know, the referee, you know, so ushered him off. And so, you know, Dan then goes on and scores a couple of goals. And, you know, Joe always said afterwards, you know, it's the greatest substitution I never made. But, I mean, Joe was an absolute media man's dream. I mean, uh, he was brilliant for me, uh, the Echo. I know we had issues with the Echo later, you know. But at that time, you know, uh, he, he was so good, you know, up with me personally and I remember um, after the game where everybody said as you said it was going to be a Dream Cup final Man United against Spurs and he walked into the press room and he says well lads sorry about your Dream final but bollocks to you <laughs> <laughs> and that's with a double L yeah. Yeah, so we, we all laughed but a lot of the national media yeah. guys like oh no need for that. No need for that. That's a bit uncalled for. But it just summed up the mood, you know. So everybody thought Everton were the underdogs that were going to get destroyed by this, like you know, sort of rampant Spurs team. And it was it sort of symbolised that season, you know. Yeah. So the the underdogs that would refuse to be browbeaten. The other as well, speaking of underdogs and dogs, I mean that was the thing that I think Joe was also. He got a bit mad a little bit over the dogs of war thing, mm. didn't he? That he, he did. I think he felt that 
got a bit out well, of Alex, Alex Ferguson tried to turn that on him. If you remember the yeah. following season, uh, we drew 2-2 at Old Trafford, opened the other season, beat Newcastle 2-0 where Duncan was unplayable, went to Old Trafford and uh, we were 2-0 up. Duncan scored two blinding mm. goals. They got it back to 2-2. And then in time added on, Tony Grant, Mr. Sitter, and Gary Speed, Mr. Sitter. And, you know, we should have beaten you know, yeah. United away 4-2. So afterwards, Alex Ferguson, in classic deflection, you know, sort of mode, started saying, but, oh, well, you know, so Everson were a bit root one way and we couldn't handle their long balls into the box. And it was unfair, but it was Alex Ferguson just trying to score a psychological point. And it sort of stuck. People tried to label Everson a long ball team. And that irked Joe because, as we showed against Spurs, you know, Everson could play very good quality football. Mm-hmm. As yeah. we did in that second season, you know, yeah. fin- finished sixth. As he did in the third season, put seven past Southampton, you know, so played some it, very good football. Yeah, I, th- I think that Spurs game is as good as what I've seen. Yeah. Everton play pound for pound, taking account of the strength of the team, the players on the pitch, and who we were playing against in the occasion. It's, it's as good as and I've seen any Everton team play. And that fourth goal, you know, God bless him, Gary Ablett, I mean, we're winning 3 1. Try and catch that if yeah, you can, yeah. and he did. And the. <laughs> He ran up when Amo's fourth goal. Gary Ablett ran the full length of the pitch, yeah. didn't he? To yeah. be fair to him, and Daniel finished it. For Daniel's finishing, which could be, you know, erratic. Erratic would be the word. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he slammed it into the roof of the net, and you know, and it was a great, uh, great bit of play by Gary. But that, that was about as good pound for pound as what you see any Everton team play. It must have been because semi-finals aren't usually like that either. No. Oh, they were. You be, you know, we four one up. Obviously, the, the two goals come late on, but yeah. I imagine just being blues at that moment watching that game those last five minutes or you know and stoppage time must have been just just pure bliss where you can sit there and enjoy and bask in the fact that we are going to a Wembley final yeah, I did I remember I didn't have the club pay for flags or something remember it was them huge flags that rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember but yeah it was that was great and, and um, then you've got United in the final but <laughs> um, you know, well, United side that had issues. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. Cantona was suspended. You know, he was important to them. So, so, so you went there with a massive sense of confidence then. The cup final. Yeah, I don't know about confidence. No, you know, so United were a very good side, but we'd already beaten them once that season, yeah. so we knew it was possible. It was a weird build-up because Duncan was such a talisman, and clearly United, as Liverpool did at the time, you know, had this real fear of him psychologically. And he shouldn't have been playing. He shouldn't even have been on the bench, you know. So he was nowhere near fit. He'd had a hernia up, and uh, we played Coventry on the last game, drew nil nil, and he came off the bench for the last forty-five minutes just to try and prove his uh, fitness for the cup final. And he wasn't fit. He shouldn't have been anywhere near it. But Joe, uh, you know, so chose to put him on the bench at the expense of John Eberl because of that psychology, because he knew just the presence of him on that bench would have affected you know Manchester United mm. would have you know, had that slight fear factor and I think he still feels bad to this day you know so about John missing out and Ebo you know so accepts it he understands Joe's reasoning uh, but he was such a, an influential character uh, so we, we turned up waiting to enjoy the day really I don't, mm. I don't know we ever had any great sense of confidence that we were going to win it we thought we could similar to Chelsea in 09 possibly yeah possibly you know so they were the favourites and deservedly yeah. so but we thought we've beaten them once, you know. So why can't we do it again? And the belief that caused through those players. I've got so many good memories of that day. And I remember afterwards, um, 
Andy, Andy Hinchcliffe, just because in the days then we were allowed into the tunnel, the players' tunnel after the game to try and get interviews. And uh, Andy just came running towards me, just like a little kid, going, Oh my God, this is great, this is great, this is great. He just couldn't believe, you know, so what he just experienced. Uh, Barry, who was, you know, again, one of the leaders of that team, was absolutely bouncing. And Paul Rydout was doing like an interview afterwards. And uh, he was basically, you know, expressing regret that Neville wasn't going to come to the players' banquet. He'd already said he was going to go back home and join his <laughs> missus, you know, so I'm not coming. Uh, I've seen him every day. Do we quite want to go and see them again tonight? <laughs> and, and, and Duncan Ferguson coming across wasn't going to be interviewed because he never did. But, you know, trying to drag Paul Ride out away. But it was just the look of elation amongst all those players' faces in the tunnel. Yeah, it was. It was just, you know when you say about, like, names on the cup, it's like, as Penno was saying, United had lost the week before, hadn't they, the title? And it's a bit yeah. like us in '86, and yeah. so they had all the pressure on them, didn't sure. they? So that 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 was one thing. So they had no Cantona. Kanchelskis was injured as well, and he'd been flying that season. Yeah, yeah. He'd been their best player that season, yeah. Kanchelskis. And Ryan Giggs had been injured, and he was only on the bench. And then it was a bit. I always remember thinking the game. You'd expect it to be a dog cup final, yeah. and dogs wore all it. And it was quite, it was quite, so it was quite quiet. Yeah. Opening for half an hour, it wasn't really. What's happening? There wasn't like tackles getting thrown in and stuff like this. It was it was quite a quiet, you know, uh, game. People, you know, showing each other respect. And there was a couple of things happened, wasn't it? The first thing was Steve Bruce pulled hamstring, didn't he? After about twenty five minutes, and I don't think it was Ferguson's best game of management that he ever had in his mm. career. He kept him on the pitch, didn't yeah, he? And the game when we break to score a goal, and as you know, Graeme Stewart uh, hit the underside of the bar. Bruce is on the line. That's but right, but yeah. because he was injured, he got caught behind. He couldn't mm. move. He couldn't jump because he was injured. And I think he would he would have struggled to get right outside that anyway because he's such a well placed header. And he but he, he just couldn't. He couldn't move really. And when he goes away, him, him and Schmeichel start having a <laughs> having a bit. And, and, and I always thought it was strange. Ferguson keeping him on the pitch fit because yeah. he was 35, 36, yeah. Steve Bruce. We stayed on so half time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was strange. And do you want to, do you want a factoid about Steve Bruce? Always, Gav, yeah. He's, he's the only player to play against two Everton FA Cup winning teams during their run because he played for Gillingham in 1984 against us. Right. So the five times we've won the Cup, he's the only player to play against us in two of those seasons. And I thought it was strange. And the other thing, because they really didn't do anything United in the first half. I mean, Waggy was brilliant, I thought, in that mm. game. And then he changed things down to half time, Ferguson. And he brought Giggs on, took Bruce off, and but then he had a gaff in the centre half and he put he put Gary Neville played at right back centre off and put Roy Keane at right back. <laughs> you know, Roy Keane who spent yeah. like Britain's most expensive midfielder, then just getting into being the best midfielder. Did he play right hand side then? Roy Keane. Still. I can't remember, but it's yeah. just him. No, Nicky Butt was on the pitches, maybe to put Nicky yeah. Butt play. But you don't put your best midfield, you know. Player who spent three and a half million at right back, mm-hmm. you know, and I just thought that was a strange, strange thing. I know, yeah, and Paul Instant played very well. And I think, strange enough, I think the pressure got to them a little bit. And I remember David Dunsworth and Mark Hughes had a real battle, didn't he? Runs he did really well, yeah. so much so that Mark Hughes was complaining to the ref. With so, you know, like if Hughes, you could take it, couldn't yeah. he? If he's complaining about treatments, you know, that there's a uh, the other, the other, the other team's done well. And I'm, I'm right in saying that Neville got the man of the match that day. Dave Watson got the official man. Yeah, well, that's yeah, right, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you could argue that Unzi deserved it that Unzi day. Unzi played really a well. Game, yeah. I mean, yeah. a couple of our players had quiet games. Yeah. Um, I remember watching it back once, and Barry <laughs> Davis said, 
but uh, Barry Horn had a great game. He's just got in the way. But he had some odd ones that day. Yeah. That was where he had that awful bit of commentary talking about Nicky Butt, but, oh, yeah. whose name is so accurate because like the pronoun he is, he yeah. joins one sentence to another. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Barry, you're trying too hard. Yeah. It's a bit partridge, that, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. I mean, because Mossy had always done the cup final for years and Barry, Barry's won the World Cup final and I think there was a feeling that Barry was going to be the number one commentator and I think he talked himself out of it because he, mm. he did another one about Lee Sharp Sharp like <laughs> na- name Sharp by yeah. nature or something <laughs> like this and it just didn't work and uh, I, I just I just remember the, um, it wasn't Ferguson's finest hour and Neville was probably only called into action once really was that double save well, wasn't yeah. it, everyone really? talks about Neville's like incredible performance yeah. and to me it, it was an ordinary Neville performance yeah. you know, he had a couple of saves that you'd expect him to make which he did but because it was like 11 years after he last won the FA Cup there was almost like a little bit of sentimentality at mm. play you know so people bigging up that performance more than it was Neville himself would mm. tell you he didn't have a great deal to do that day but what he did he did very effectively yeah. do, you think, I, do you think it's that falls in line with you know with the very start of the show we said that you know when Mike Walker was there, there was a sense from some people that people like Dave Watson and Neville Southall were at the best. Do you think there's a bit of romanticising about his performance in that game on the on the basis of what had come before that season? I think, yeah. I mean, Neville was nearing the end of his career then. I mean, between 1985 and 1991, say, he was, for me, I mean, it sounds like a real hyperbole, but he was the best goalkeeper in the world. He was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. Funny enough, I did a piece you know, today about Jordan Pickford and I was talking about, you know, so Neville made mistakes. I talked about the one against Romania in 1993, which was far worse than the one Pickford did against Crystal Palace, where he just flopped over it. But, you know, that was Neville, you know, so towards the end of his career. And I says, and he stepped over the line against Watford in 1983, was it? I said, well, from 83 to 93. I can't remember a single mistake. (laughs) Ten years without a mistake. So, you know, but yeah, by then, he was beginning to lose a bit of athleticism and, uh, you know, didn't quite have the spring that he had. Still had presence mm. and still was a great, you know, sort of authoritative figure. Did he have that in the dressing room as well still? Oh, massively, players, massively. Yeah. He was a huge character and, you know, he he basically did what he wanted. You know, he was an incredibly, you know, uh, committed trainer. He was always first on the training pitch. He was always, you know, sort of last off. Uh, but because of that and because of his character, managers tended to indulge him a little bit and let him do, you know, so what he wanted to do. And he would largely do his own thing. But he was a real big, strong voice. And I remember I've had a few of the other players laughing because they were talking about, you know, when things were going very, very badly at the start of the season. Mike Walker would say something to them about, uh, oh, come on, so what, what do you think? And there'd be silence. And so Neville would say something absolutely ridiculous. And then, so <laughs> Graham, Graham Stewart would say afterwards, why did you say that, Nev? Because oh, it's all bloody quiet. I wanted somebody to say something. So I thought I'd just say something daft. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he was, he was like a really, very big personality. Um, you know, there were leaders throughout that team that Mike Walker never utilised. Neville was a leader. Waggy was, you know, one of the best captains ever and have ever had. Barry Horn was a leader. Uh, Paul Rydat was a leader. Gary Ablett was a very, very strong personality. Matt Jackson, strong personalities throughout that team. And, you know, the manager, I never believed in now and didn't believe in him. Uh, but when Joe, you know, so came in, he brought the best out of them all. They all believed in each other. And it became a great team spirit. And now they occasionally have reunions. And that team is still a big, you know, so group of players that still get on with each other, still enjoy each other's company. And still, you know, have got that bond and that team spirit, which which is great. It's great to see. Yeah, it's, probably, it's, it's funny, isn't it? They always talk about Wimbledon being Liverpool, being a massive shock. 
Wimbledon finished sixth that season. Yeah. And Everton, Everton finished, well, 15th or 16th, but United yeah. do finish second. But it's, never, it's not regarded as being a shock, if you mm. know what I mean. Yeah. I, I was thinking about it, you know, we said we're going to do the show, and it, it's sadly, there's a wide conversation about the FA Cup and super clubs now being unbeatable, but those are the days where you could finish 15th yeah. and go to the cup final yeah. against the team, bottom of the top. Probably the top team in the country, even though they finished second, and still be competitive and give them a game and, and run out, you know, deserve winners. I'm thinking that say in the context of say Man City Watford last season. It can happen. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, know. obviously Wigan against Man City is the you know the, yeah. the exception that proves you. But yeah, nowadays it tends not to happen, does it? Yeah. You know, so and you do have. And one I side think of that's sad. And I think I think that was maybe one of the last cup finals where it. It's like very like old school cup. It feels cup like final, a bit nostalgic yeah. still, doesn't it? When you look back and oh, yeah. yeah. And it's... and I think it was just before the time where you sort of guaranteed to get sort of you know the big team will win all the time. And I, and, and, and it's funny that nobody thinks it's a really a shock at the time. I think, I think United were evens. I think we were like sort of two and a half to one, which was still yeah. still reasonable. Yeah. But but not Evan winning wasn't a massive massive shock. And I thought I thought we deserved it on the day. Didn't crease a lot. I mean, remember Duncan came, I was clearing off it, and Daniel came on, didn't he? Yeah. Daniel, which people forget. And um, they had that mad one at the end where Schmeichel, Schmeichel went over. Happen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Daniel could have ran through and scored and lost the yeah. ball, didn't he? But it was it was a, it was a great day, great day. That it's I think it's it's interesting talking about this and obviously looking at it now in the modern day and we we all. Speaking our respective platforms about how everything they're going to get back to to winning things and you know getting to cup finals again and what's required and we talk about things like stability and you know long term and, and building and signing the right players and I think when you look back at this and we, we hop back to nineteen ninety five as you know the, the last time Everton won something it was sort of born out of. You know, all those stories you mentioned there from pre-season, yeah. you know, an absolutely chaotic start. And it, it can, just the stars aligned a little bit. It, it can change at a flick of a switch. I mean, uh, my son's 25 now. He was born in 1995. And so, you know, he bemoans the fact that his entire life he's never known, you know, so Everton come close to winning anything. And I keep trying to reassure him by saying it can change in a heartbeat. Because I remember those, I mean, not so much 95, that did change in the flick of a switch. But, you know, even more spectacularly, 1983, New Year's Eve 1983, and how bleak Everton's future was then. And literally five months later, we're winning the FA Cup because they already had good players, strong players at that football club. Similar situation that weren't being played. Peter Reid wasn't being played regularly um, and, you know, turned in the flick of a switch. So it can happen. Now, I'm not saying we've got the players at the football club now Mm -hmm. that will enable that to happen. But there are good players there, and you know, with we've got a good manager there, and so you know, so with two or three players maybe brought in in the summer, things can change quickly. So don't lose heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great way to finish, um, lads. Pleasure um, speaking to you both about. It. Have you enjoyed looking back at that, that campaign? Yeah, it's always, it's nice always, it's always it. great to talk about you know sort of positive seasons, and uh, I, I love looking back on that era, you know, because it, it was an absolute privilege to be the Everton correspondent for the Echo back then. You know, so talk about, you know, labour of love. It was, I loved doing it. I loved looking back on it. It was an epic season, wasn't it? Yeah. It went from north on 10 to 10 on 10 in the same campaign, didn't you? <laughs> it can't, can't be bad. You know, it's a good season to start yeah. off with, isn't it, David? Absolutely. tiny apartment in Southern California, two college dropouts teamed up to start a watch brand that broke all the rules. 
with clean, innovative designs, unexpected colors, and unbeatable value, Movement became the fastest-growing watch brand in the world. Every bold, modern design is dreamed up at Movement's California headquarters. And now, everything is on sale for their ninth birthday celebration. You can save big with 25% discounts on watches, jewelry, sunnies, blue light eyewear, and more lifestyle essentials. And for the first time this year, Movement's best-selling, innovatively made ceramic watches are on sale too. Elevate your own look or give someone an amazing gift that won't break the bank. But looks like it did. There's never been a better time to join the movement. Get the best prices of the year with Movement's site-wide 25% off anniversary sale and enjoy free shipping, free returns, and a two-year guarantee on everything they make. Just go to MVMT.com. That's MVMT.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.